Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Macadamian, where we explore the intersection of technology and healthcare. We've worked with many innovative companies to design and develop digital products that improve people's health. And we want to share all that we can to help people build better products. So let's get to today's episode. So today we have Lorraine, our Senior Director of Healthcare Services, and Dinesh, our COO at Macadamian. Um, And today's topic is all about how product teams in medtech, pharma, digital health can make better product-related decisions and investments um, by doing some user research. And we'll get into what exactly user research is, but first... I just kind of want to talk about um, how this is a particularly interesting conversation to have right now, since things you knew about your product users pre-COVID are radically different today, given the context of COVID-19. So Dinesh, I thought I would just start with this question for you. Um, How have you noticed business models changing uh, based on the conversations you're having with clients in the med tech digital health and pharma space? And what are some of the key shifts that teams are struggling with right now? Well, I think we're all required to completely change how we work and how we engage with um, our health. I think one of the first things that I think people noticed uh, when COVID struck was that, you know, they just weren't getting out nearly as much as they were before. And we got the creation of the walking meeting. I think we've all probably done one of those. Um, and, you know, I think that's just, it's characteristic of how, uh, we are adapting, um, and the stress on our system, both, you know, personal systems and our health systems and our economic systems is really causing a lot of, um, a lot of transformation. And the first and biggest part of that transformation is the move to digital. Um, and, you know, where once, you know, it was almost unheard of unless you were in very remote parts of the world to do telemedicine, you know, that's, that's normal. Now, um, if you want to see your doctor, you've got to call and make an appointment and then they call you back and, you know, it's a completely different experience. So I think there's, um, you know, the, the move to digital and move to remote is going to make is a, is a fundamental change change that is, uh, um, going to require a whole new business models. Um, COVID itself, from a short-term perspective, made a big impact on med tech companies, on hospitals, on primary care practices, and everyone was forced forced to reprioritize. And you know, back in the summer, almost all elective surgeries were canceled, and that put a, a lot of pressure on uh, on anybody who provided technology or services to the to the medical industry. And we personally saw a big cutback in how people thought about the capital expenditures around new product and production. So if you were working on a product, typical biotech or, or med device product, you know, costs around $30 million to build. And, you know, if, if you were down that path and you had no line of sight to customers in the next 12 months, a lot of people went, Whoa, Whoa, we need to, we need to pause right now. We need to really kind of get our own houses in order. And so we saw a major cutback on capital expenditure and innovation around um, medical devices and of refocusing into things that were already in market and things that were cardiopulmonary in nature. So anything that would um, you know, allow uh, countries to respond to the effects of COVID 
primarily the um, you know the effects for anything related to your lungs because that's where it primarily attacks. So that's was one big change is how people spend money it was a massive change. Another was the fact that you know people who had historically been um, you know the healthcare uh, industries is quite a rich industry in the sense that there's a lot of money that goes into it. Fifty percent of GDP goes into providing healthcare um, in most of the uh, developed world. Uh, so it's a massive, massive um, a spend for governments and for individuals. And so the result of that is many of the people who are involved in this industry, you know, were used to having money to, to spend on stuff. And all of a sudden, doctor's offices are closing. 94% of doctor's offices were severely affected by COVID in the fact that they weren't able to provide services. And so when, your cust when our customers' customers are unable to purchase their products, you're going to really uh, put a massive wrench in the system. And... So these were just these were just some of the observations we had through the through the course of the last six months, um, and you know companies like ours, which are all about creating better patient outcomes, uh, you know we were forced to rethink for ourselves how we engage with with health IT companies, with med device companies, so that we can address and react to this this new reality, and that involved rethinking what that user experience in a big way because it changed from being an in-person experience to a digital experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of businesses too are brand new to this whole, um, I guess, digital world and having to move completely digital. It can be very intimidating, I'm sure, for people who are just not used to that type of business model. So thank you for providing some context from a business perspective on just like some of the major changes that are happening um, in the healthcare tech market right now. Uh, and then Lorraine, I guess a question for you. Um, what do you think can help product teams right now when they're making decisions on about like what to focus on when it comes to product development and how to sell their products right now? especially for those companies that Dinesh mentioned who are entering an entirely new remote digital business world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, you definitely have to take a, a, if you weren't using research before methodologies that were typically found in the research realm, realm then you definitely want to start using them now. And uh, as Dinesh mentioned, we're tackling this uh, at the moment with our clients. And so we've kind of identified uh, for people three main things that they'll want to focus on. Right. First is identify those new market changes and opportunities. So this means understanding the ecosystem in which their product or service uh, exists. Um, and because even if you've had a longstanding product, that ecosystem has now changed, whether whether you like it or not. Right. But you can identify the components of um, that remain the same. So what remains the same within that ecosystem? Um, what has changed? And then map it out visually so you can see the impact of the changes on your uh, product or service. So as Dinesh mentioned earlier, you know, drug reps and medical device reps no longer have direct access to physicians or clinicians in the office or in the OR. Frankly, in many cases, neither do patients. Um, so, uh, you know, patients are, are calling in and not necessarily getting that 
uh, immediate um, uh, appointment. They're they're getting it virtually, but they're not. It's it's changed in that that interaction has changed in in a traditional way. Um, so it might be a temporary change, or it might be an opportunity for businesses to address this challenge in anticipation that will continue as a new norm. Um, and I think many people have identified that, uh, especially when it comes to um, uh, patient care, uh, that there are uh, new opportunities as a result of these changes. So remote health monitoring, for instance. Um, so once you identify um, what those uh, changes means in terms of the ecosystem, then you can specifically zero in. So part two now is zero in on a problem or problems and explore the needs or requirements around that. Uh, so the telemedicine was one. How do we keep seeing patients without actually coming into physical contact with them? Uh, telemedicine existed, but it just opened up new opportunities uh, for them. But it's not just about telemedicine in that particular example, right? It's about remote health monitoring as well. So when previously you might have had patients coming in on a weekly basis or a monthly basis doing that check-in, looking uh, at new ways uh, to be able to to do that from a virtual perspective. Again, a change because of COVID, but many people are seeing it this as a long-term solution going forward um, because it just helps you um, um, provide better uh, pl care plans and better treatments uh, for those specific patients and, and therefore patient outcomes. So really it's about zeroing in on that specific problem, exploring the needs. So you need to conduct design research so you can surface those insights on how you can then effectively mitigate risks or take advantage uh, of the opportunity. Uh, and then last but not least, Take what you've, so step number three, take what you've just uncovered um, in steps one and two, and now apply a very critical look at your value proposition. Um, you probably need to enhance it um, or change it in some way to reflect the new opportunities and changing requirements. And actually this is where we see a lot of innovation uh, occurring. Uh, so one example, for instance, um, one of the reactions that Macadamian had to COVID was implementing um, and or creating a new application that um, that helped with screening, COVID screening for uh, health networks. So for clinics, for hospitals, um, and of course it extends even beyond the healthcare space. Um, and immediately we thought the value was on efficiency of screening because previously they were doing it on paper. So we're looking at efficiency and also safety because before they were doing it on paper, so all of these nurses would come in for their shift, they're all congregating together, filling out their paper forms and, and then handing it in to somebody who was then manually screening that. And so there was a safety aspect to it as well. Well, what we uncovered actually was that, yes, that's definitely a big part of the value proposition, but we were able to innovate in another way. And that was being able to provide this oversight and insights at the administration level um, so they could realize efficiencies. So they had an idea of what that staff um, looked like at certain pictures in time and could plan accordingly so that they had the people um, on hand to treat patients. So in a nutshell, what people can be doing right now to leverage user research is to kind of take a holistic look 
at kind of what's going on, their business environment right now, their environment that their product or their service exists in, and then dive a bit deeper, focus in on specific elements of that whole picture, specific challenges or problems, and then taking the information that you've gathered from step one and two, uh, kind of revisiting your value proposition and, and tweaking it based on the insights that you've got gathered from those two things. Okay. And this is, this is a, a curveball question that's not in here, but it just came up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and actually I'd like to get both of your perspectives on this. A, because I just don't really know. Um, and B, I'm, it just, I guess being within a company, it makes so much sense to me. Like it's very clear to me why user research would be something that's so valuable. But I wonder like, why, why is this an area that is sometimes overlooked when it comes to making investments? Like why is user research something that people don't, like they skip over, they don't think it's important? Um, well, there could be a lot of reasons for that. Um, so, I mean, often we don't know what we don't know. And so that gets in the way of discovery, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so to explain that a little bit, um, some companies feel like, uh, well, we know our target user base. We know what they're doing with the product, um, but, but they haven't formalized, they, they just don't realize that they actually don't know, right? So, so many times we've gone into the field and come back to clients and say, actually, your users are not using your product or service in the way you thought they were. Here's how they're actually using it. Here's how they're adopting it. So sometimes it's really just a, they, they just really don't know what they don't know. Um, many people perceive user research as being really time consuming and expensive, and it, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it really depends on, are you looking at introducing a new product or service that nobody, like, is just going to be completely new? Um, then, then yes, you're probably going to want to spend a lot of time and money to make sure that you're gonna get it right, right? That it's gonna be something that's gonna be adopted. It actually fits a need. There's a, there's a meaningful use component um, to it. Uh, but other times, I mean, so companies have their products in the field a long time and they have been doing, you know, getting little bits of, of information from sales reps, for instance, or from uh, customer experience. Um, calls or customer support calls within the company, but they just don't know how to pull it together um, and then enhance that with uh, qualitative or uh, qualitative research methodologies to really get the picture that they need in order to inform their product uh, development cycles. Yeah, and my perspective is um, often when you decide to do something, you're not doing it based on research, you're doing it based on gut. And uh, research is scary because you might've got it wrong. And if you got it wrong, what happened to all that money you spent and all the reputation you kind of staked on this thing? And so it's hard. It takes a lot of courage to go in and challenge assumptions, um, to um, go and um, ask questions that maybe you don't want to know the answer to, right? And this, this happens a lot in product development, right? Where you're, you're building something and you know, you've got this thesis and you've made a case based on this thesis and then you get out into the market 
and it fails for whatever reason. Well, it's much easier to say we failed to execute than we built the wrong product, right? And um, so there, there is that, there is that component of courage that user research requires. It requires the ability to step back and truly be a researcher as opposed to maybe an entrepreneur, right? Or an intrapreneur, which means step back and let the data tell you what the data tells you as opposed to um, you know, molding a vision um, and presenting it to the marketplace. And so not everyone feels comfortable with that and not everyone is able to do it at all stages because there's a cost associated with it. So I, I think one of the things that I've learned in a decade at Macadamia and then prior to that more than a decade building products is that being able to answer the question how you know is really important. So if your answer to the question is how I know is because my experience, you're instantly in the wrong barrel or the wrong bucket, right? Because you should be able to say how I know is through data, not through opinion. And many, many, many times um, uh, companies rely on the opinions of experts, which doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just may mean that they're not entirely right. And getting to the ability to answer how I know and how I know is I've actually done the research. I actually have the data. I have observed people in the context of use, doing and achieving the outcomes that I'm hoping my product will achieve, you know, that's a rock solid foundation to build a business on. And um, that's when we find the, the great companies that we work with are the ones that have the courage to go and ask those fundamental questions. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that has been like increasing over recent years where people are starting to build up that courage and have more of an interest to get like concrete data that validates kind of the opinions or assumptions that people make around their products or users? It, it's changing, I right? I, I actually really believe it's changing because it used to be that the world was fairly, you know, not if not if not predictable, at least stable, right? And so you, especially in healthcare, things could change iteratively. Well, that's not true anymore. <laughs> Just look at the last six months. Chaos abounds, and if you're not the if you're not the kind of company that can sense quickly what's happening in the market, um, and then rely on what your eyes are telling you as opposed to what you believe, you're going to end up with the product that you know was good three months ago or six months ago or heaven forbid, five years ago. And, you know, like I said at the outset, it costs 30 million bucks on average to build a med device. You get that wrong, somebody's losing their job and probably worse. So, you know, I, I don't think it's where it might have been, you know, debatably a luxury in the past because you could fix on the fly. I don't believe going to market in the kind of high complexity, high chaos environment we're in now without some form of research and you know there's lots of as Lorraine will talk to there's lots of different scales of research and how you can do it so you can be agile and you can you know invest at a rate that's appropriate to um, you know your budget and your business requirements but to do to just say no this is what I believe and I'm going to listen to a couple of people and then go off and build with that um, it can be considered I mean I know for when entrepreneurs tell me that I go that's irresponsible. You're going to, you're going to regret that decision later. Yeah. And there's, there's less tolerance for that in the market. 
uh, in terms of your customer base. Because if you don't get it right, you don't make it really simple for me to use, or you're not meeting a need that I need fulfilled, forget it, right? So even the consumer base, no matter what area you're in, has uh, changed in terms of their expectations on what you as a company need to deliver. Yeah, it seems like becoming user-centric uh, is definitely no longer a differentiator. It's like a requirement in order to survive amongst your competition. Um, so Lorraine, could you just provide a little bit of background info in case anybody doesn't have like a user experience or a human-centered research design function internally on what user research actually is? <laughs> Yeah, well, so uh, so just building off of my last statement, so I, yeah. I think many people know good design when they experience it, right? We have it in our hand every day. A product or service that makes you, the users their job easier or delights them in an unexpected way, or maybe it's because it doesn't get in their way at all, right? So it's just, I barely notice it. That's that's still good user experience. What people don't realize is that great design experiences don't just happen. Um, and so uh, when we talk about UX design, that's where user research comes in. So the two are inextricably uh, linked, right? So great design happens because it's informed by user research. So user research is about developing and understanding of users in relation to a system, a service, or a product, and the context in which they're using it. And you, so if you want to know um, whether there's a need, what you want to know how to delight your users in some way, how, you know, maybe it's about efficiency um, or it just simply solves a problem for them. You can't just jump right into design and think, well, I'm going to put the best designers in the world on this. It's going to look fantastic. Um, you don't get that. That's the tip of the, of the, of the iceberg. You have to, you need to do the user experience research in order to make that happen. Cause a lot of people do come to us and say, well, we just need to, you know, shine it up here or make it look better here. Um, but you don't understand that you don't have that foundational understanding. You don't fix the foundation. Then it doesn't matter how pretty it looks. People are going to, uh, discover pretty quickly that it's not useful to them or they can't use it. Sustainable competitive advantage. That's the key thing for me around research centered design is that it is impossible to copy. You can copy screens, you can copy colors, you can copy icons. You cannot copy good fundamental research. It's not possible because you won't understand why they made the decisions they made for that design. And that turns into a sustainable competitive advantage for the those product creators that are releasing products that use it. Mm, that's a really good point. Um, and now there are probably many businesses that are hyper-focused on what they need to do right now in order to continue to operate safely and responsibly to keep sales up and to keep their customers happy. Um, but there's a good chance that some of the COVID-19 driven market changes that are happening uh, are going to stick simply because the world is already moving towards like all things digital. Um, so things like Lorraine mentioned, telemedicine and virtual doctor's visits, online health screening, you know, remote uh, communication tools. 
So how exactly does user research play into making decisions that will benefit companies long-term as opposed to just kind of keeping them afloat right now? Who would you like to answer, me? Yeah, I'll start with you. <laughs> okay, so uh, look, you know what? I'll let Lorraine speak to user research specifically, but I think um, one th knowing your user and knowing what their new reality post-COVID will be is, um, you know, that's just being competitive. That's that's reacting to your environment. And, you know, the, the big thing that I think will, will happen is, is that there's stuff that we really like about COVID, right? The environment loves the fact that we don't have millions of cars with one person in it going back and forth for two hours every day um, to work at home. You know, that's really good for the environment. It's good for all of us as humans. Um, there's other things like the, the remote work has um, really in many ways increased the productivity of folks because it allows them to focus on, on certain tasks. Um, many jobs have been automated uh, through technology over the course of um, uh, over the course of this COVID environment. So your your context of use has fundamentally changed. If you're a producer of value in any market from January 2020 onwards, how people are going to use your stuff, everything from um, um, desks to chairs uh, to computers to anything like meetings, if you're, if you're designing meetings, your meetings have to be different. Everything has to be different. So I think those, a lot of those things are gonna stick because guess what, they were positive. They were things that we should have been doing. We've always had the technology to do. I think, you know, I have a bit of white in my beard. So I can say that, you know, I started, started looking at, you know, video conferencing as a way of collaborating in the mid nineties. So like the fact that it took COVID to turn it into something mainstream that everybody uses, uh, you know, that's, that's 20 years overdue. Uh, and so these, these are things that I think, you, you know, you, genie's out of the bottle. They're, they're staying. Um, travel is going to be quite different. Um, awareness of, of communicable disease is going to be very different, right? And so how do I work with a mask on? This is something I guarantee you no product manager ever thought about 12 months ago. If I'm sitting, if somebody is working um, with uh, Outlook or some tool and they have to do it with a mask on, how does that work? How does my, how do my employees stay productive in socially distance or in an office where I need to have negative air pressure? All of these are things that you didn't need to think about. Because, the, because you worked in a certain environment. Guess what? It's all changed. And we don't know when it's changing back. So you don't have the luxury of saying, I'll just wait it out. Because if you do wait it out, you're out of business. So I think from that perspective, there is there are things that product managers have to look at and go, There's, I need to be able to address this for now. So this is my product for now. And then there's a product forever. And you have to recognize and start making some bets on what are the things that are likely going to stay true even after we get a vaccine, even after things, um, you know, get back to a new abnormal? Yeah, and I mean, to sort of bring all that back around, um, Dinesh mentioned a couple of things, right? So business requirements, business goals, technology. Um, and, and so we're not saying that 
user experience research or user experience design is going to like, you know, answer all those questions. Mm -hmm. It's, it's about to having that another um, uh, key component of your overall business plan, right? So business technology, user experience and through user research, especially now you can gain that direct confirmation of needs, right? And help set priorities that matter most to a variety of different stakeholders in your business ecosystem, right? From end users to buyers. So some of the data uh, you'll collect will represent short-term requirements. How are we dealing with this now? It has to be this way for your product. While others will represent longer-term requirements um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, even uncover opportunities for uh, for the the vision of your of your product. So the data collect you collect today from user research will uncover needs and new opportunities you hadn't realized, um, and that will allow you to build it into your product roadmap towards towards a new vision. Those are some good points. Yeah. Um, how do you think people? Like, I'm just trying to put myself in a product manager's shoes right now. And how do you even predict what is going to stick? Like Dinesh had mentioned, being able to predict what is going to stick and, and what's kind of a temporary thing. So the great news is you don't have to predict. If you watch people using your product, they'll tell you. Because you'll be able to see, and I think Lorraine probably has a big smile on her face because that's that's the essence of what research does. It doesn't require you to be a wizard or uh, somebody who can see the future. You just watch, and you watch people delighted in the use of your product in certain ways. The ones that that are um, that people enjoy, just because we're human and we get reinforced when we do something we like. Um, those are the ones that stick. And the ones that are painful are the ones that are likely gonna fall away. Lorraine, feel free to jump in. Well, it's about, so, and and so not everything is rosy, right, too. Um, so, so even uncovering pain points, you know, what are people struggling with? Or do you think about digital therapeutics too? Like, uh, we're seeing some successes and we're seeing some failures, but the 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 um, the path to success is learning too as you iterate, right? And so as you iterate, you figure out okay, and you get that much closer. Okay, this is getting the outcomes I'm looking for. Let's build on that, and you keep going. But un unless you do the research, you can't figure out what that foundation or benchmark is upon which to improve right? Uh, or you put it out there and don't do anything, it's going to fail. It's not going to get any better. Um, and so uh, definitely the data helps secure this path. Reuser research helps you with along the path so that you keep going towards that. And it doesn't sit by itself. Point. Like a great a great firm, you know, plug for us is that are they're able to take that research quickly iterate it into a prototype of some sort so you can make an assumption, a hypothesis, validate it, iterate at a very, very low cost. And then as your, your confidence grows and your uncertainty shrinks, you then begin going for higher and higher fidelity, more and more um, from migration from you know, pure design uh, to more of the, the 
engineering side, which is taking care of all of the many things around security and around um, you know data privacy and all of the other parts that are key to being a um, to putting a successful product to market, a regulated product to market. Uh, but the benefit of it is, is that you're always, you understand why every decision that you made was made. And if you look, ask a product manager and you said, thinking through a product manager sitting in their shoes or standing in their shoes, well, most of them, they don't know why a button's the way a button is or a workflow is the way a workflow is. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of confidence that comes from understanding why and being able to point to a set of data um, because it, it 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 just allows you to move forward with much more confidence. And so I think, you know, though you're right, and in fact, the, the, you learn much more from your failures than you ever do from your successes. And the key thing is to fail cheaply. That's what I've learned. Yeah. You absolutely have to fail, but fail cheaply. And research allows you to fail cheaply quickly so you can get to that ultimate success. That's, yeah, that's a great point emphasize the cheaply <laughs> yeah when it's what did you say 30 million to put out a med device yeah um okay well that pretty much wraps up our conversation today uh hopefully everybody uh was able to get some uh insight out of today's conversation on how user research can be a really useful tool right now for anybody creating products or services within the healthcare space um, and that's pretty much all.